For a long time, I've been obsessed with two things, the NBA and Israeli politics. Guess which one this episode is about. I'd love to get into the NBA playoffs another time, but let's talk about Israeli politics. Back in 2009, I was a student at Hebrew University, and I was such an Israeli politics nerd that when I was on a Euro trip with friends in early 2009, I left my friends in Rome a week early so that I could be back in Israel in time for the election, despite the fact that I wasn't yet a citizen and couldn't even vote. Based on my political analysis at the time, I went to Ganea Tarucha, the Tel Aviv Expo, where I imagined I would be hearing a victory speech. And I was right. That night, Bibi Netanyahu made his victory speech before eventually becoming prime minister for the second time. And since then, he's made lots and lots of victory speeches. But fast forward 12 years to last week, when in the middle of the night, an Arab Islamist, a right-wing observant Jew, and a centrist former TV personality walked into a Tel Aviv hotel. Sounds like the setup for a really bad joke. But in reality, that exact scene created Israel's probable new coalition government and the possible end of Netanyahu's time as prime minister, the longest tenured prime minister in the history of the Jewish state. Hi, I'm Avi Posen. And I'm Sarah Himmelis. And just a quick note before diving into this episode. While there is a tentative agreement, Israel's parliament, the Knesset, still needs to vote to approve the proposed coalition. Though there are enough members of Knesset to approve, remember, this is Israel and anything can happen. The vote can be called off or can happen as early as today. All right, so let's get into it. We're going to start with a very rough sketch of how Israeli government works. But don't worry, in the show notes, we'll include links for those of you who want way more details. So Israel's government is a parliamentary democracy. The parliament, also called the Knesset, has 120 seats, made up of members of all of the different parties. The more votes a party has, the more seats the party gets in the Knesset. If there's an election and one party gets 61 seats, then it's easy. That party has the majority, the leader of that party becomes the prime minister, and the other parties all become what is known as the opposition. But of course, it's never that simple. In fact, no party has ever gotten a majority on its own. Realistically, the party with the most votes usually gets between 20 to 40 seats. And that's when the fun begins. The leader of that party has to put together a ruling coalition with other parties. Once the leader can gather enough support among the various parties to put together 61 or more seats, he or she can form a ruling government with that leader as prime minister. If, however, they can't put together a coalition, the leader from the party with the next highest number of votes gets to try. If they can pull it off, then they become prime minister. But if they also can't pull it off, usually they just do another round of elections. Simple, right? Unfortunately, not as simple as we might want. Netanyahu's right-wing Likud party has gotten the most votes in all four elections of the last two years, but he only even managed to put together one successful coalition, and even that one fell apart within a few months. In this most recent election, Netanyahu and Likud got 30 seats, but he wasn't able to form a coalition. Everyone assumed that Yair Lapid, the leader of the centrist party Yeshatid, which got 17 seats, wouldn't be able to either. But last week, Lapid announced that he had broken through and with the help of seven other parties had formed a ruling coalition. 
This coalition has the bare minimum threshold of 61 out of 120 seats. In essence, Lapid is partnering and sharing power with Naftali Bennett, the leader of Yamina, a right-wing party. And surprising to many, though his party only received seven seats in the election, Bennett will become prime minister first, while Lapid serves as foreign minister. In two years, Lapid will ascend to become prime minister, while Naftali Bennett becomes foreign minister. Aside from Yeshatid and Yamina, one more political party is getting a lot of attention, and that's Mansour Abbas's Ra'am party. Ram is an Islamist party led by Mansour Abbas, not to be confused with Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority. Both Netanyahu and Lapid had been courting the Ram party to join their potential coalition, and ultimately, for many complicated reasons, they decided to partner with the anti-Bibi Change Coalition. So who's not part of the potential new government? Well, obviously Likud and Netanyahu but also the Haredi religious parties who are key Netanyahu supporters. But again, we have to stress, Netanyahu is a master politician. We can't rule out that Netanyahu might find a way to remain prime minister. He could remain in power and bring the country to new elections again if he manages to sway members of Knesset or MKs to break with their parties and oppose the coalition, though it's pretty unlikely. If the vote in the Knesset fails to secure 61 votes, Israel is more than likely headed back to the polls for a fifth time in just two years. All right, so let's go through the major players of this new coalition. First up is Yair Lapid, 57 years old. Before entering politics, Lapid was a popular journalist in Israel. The son of Israeli TV personality and left-wing politician Tommy Lapid Yair Lapid grew up in Tel Aviv and London and is seen as Israel's leading centrist politician. Previously, he has served as leader of the opposition, finance minister under Netanyahu, and security cabinet minister. Then we have his new partner, Naftali Bennett, 49 years old. Bennett is an observant, modern Orthodox Jew. The son of immigrants from San Francisco, he was born in Haifa, served in two elite IDF commando units, and attended Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He then moved to New York City, where he made millions developing anti-fraud software. In 2006, he moved back to Israel in order to get into politics. Bennett and his party are definitely politically right-wing, and he was briefly the head of a West Bank settler group. A formerly close ally of Netanyahu, he has served as his chief of staff, education minister, and defense minister. The last major player here is Mansour Abbas, 47, a devout Muslim from the northern Israeli town of Ma'ar, which has a majority Druze population. A relative newcomer to politics, Abbas made his political debut two years ago when he was first elected to the Knesset. He studied dentistry at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem where Naftali Bennett also attended. So what does the new government stand for? Yes, they all agree that Netanyahu should no longer be prime minister. But beyond that, it's hard to say because the participating parties span the full political spectrum, from the labor and merits parties on the left to the Yamina party on the right. For Bennett, who is actually to the right of Netanyahu on several key issues, 
like his goal to annex parts of the West Bank, the goal of ending Netanyahu's 12-year rule as prime minister was more important than ideological factors. Bennett said in a speech on Sunday, quote, It has been proven to all of us that there is simply no right-wing government possible that is headed by Netanyahu, end quote. Realistically, though, it will take more than just opposing Netanyahu to hold this fragile coalition government together. How will this government rule when the eight participating parties don't see eye to eye on so many issues? Take the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, for example. Bennett completely opposes a two-state solution, while Lapid is in support of it. Meanwhile, the charter of the Rom Party refers to Zionism as a, quote, racist occupier thought, end quote. Despite the major differences between the parties, this coalition would be a government of many firsts. For one thing, Bennett is outwardly orthodox. He would be the first Israeli prime minister to wear a kippah every day. Ram would be the first Arab Islamist political party in Israeli history to be part of a ruling coalition. And a record-breaking eight women would hold ministerial posts. So how did this historic coalition come about? Well, almost every party made major concessions in order to form the coalition. The biggest one is that Lapid and the Yeshatid party offered Bennett the opportunity to serve as prime minister first. In exchange for joining the coalition, the Rom party also secured a cabinet post of regional cooperation minister and billions of dollars of economic aid for Arab areas of Israel. Explaining why his party agreed to join this coalition, Mansour Abbas said, quote, We have reached a critical mass of agreements in various fields that serve the interest of Arab society and that provide solutions for the burning issues in Arab society, end quote. Okay, so how are Israelis reacting to the new coalition? Emotions have been running high since the announcement of the proposed government. Many in Israel are so sick of the status quo that they're elated that something finally will be different. But some right-wing voters who supported Bennett feel absolutely betrayed by his decision to partner with centrist and left-wing parties. Acknowledging this, Bennett said, quote, I told my kids that their father was going to be the most hated person in the country, but I explained that I was doing it for the sake of their country, end quote. Netanyahu has been campaigning hard to break up the coalition. He has reportedly personally reached out to the rabbis of Knesset members in an effort to persuade them to oppose the government. And although this coalition includes parties from all over the left-right spectrum, Netanyahu has frequently argued that this coalition is a radical, quote, dangerous left-wing government, end quote. Knesset speaker and Netanyahu ally Yariv Levin said, quote, A government based on abysmal hatred is about to be formed, not only toward the prime minister, but toward all the values we stand for. This is a government that will be helpless vis-a-vis -vis Iran and will stop the settlement in Judea and Samaria, end quote. And in a joint letter, some of Israel's top Haredi rabbis urged followers to, quote, do everything in order to prevent the new government from being formed. The intense violent rhetoric has earned a rare strong rebuke from Israel's internal security service, the Shin Bet, 
who warned that, quote, the extremely violent and inciting discourse could, God forbid, become lethal, end quote. Many in Israel are recalling the climate of 1994, in which the public rage against Yitzhak Rabin after the Oslo Peace Accords directly led to his assassination. Just yesterday, while I was driving on the highway, I noticed that basically every bridge had a billboard that read, Stop the incitement, unite the nation. In fact, in a first for Israel, the Shin Bet has started to provide security for Bennett and his family ahead of his formal appointment as Prime Minister. They're also increasing security for Ayelet Shaked, another member of the Yamina party, and other members of parliament have also asked for more security after receiving threats. So Avi, you live in Israel, so it's obvious how this new government affects you. But what does this mean for those of us who live outside of Israel? Great question, Sarah, and it's probably too soon to tell. But we can use past statements by Bennett and Lapid to try to predict what's going to happen. I think one thing we can expect is an increased focus on diaspora relations and outreach. Remember, Bennett is the son of immigrants from San Francisco, so he's got a personal connection here. In 2018, then as education minister, Bennett said, quote, If there is one thing that keeps me up at night, it's not Iran, it's the future of the Jewish people in the diaspora. If we don't act soon, we're going to be losing millions of Jews to assimilation, end quote. He's also said, quote, there's an Atlantic Jewish chasm growing between Israelis and Jews in the United States. The Israeli population is gradually going more rightward and becoming more traditionally Jewish, whereas American Judaism is more left and liberal. It should not be a reason to fall apart, end quote. Lapid has made similar statements about the need for Israel and diaspora Jewry to stay connected as one people. One practical way in which the relationship between diaspora Jews and Israel could change is that both Bennett and Lapid appear to favor less religious control by the Haredi rabbinate. Although Bennett is orthodox, he is more pluralistic in his views. In 2014, as Minister of Diaspora Affairs, Bennett was instrumental to the creation of a plaza for non-orthodox prayer at Robinson's Arch, near the Western Wall, something non-Orthodox Jews in the diaspora have been pushing for a long time. And Lapid, who is not observant, strongly supports taking away the chief rabbinate's control of marriage, recognizing all forms of Judaism, and allowing public transportation on Shabbat. So what's the bottom line here? Though it might appear that Netanyahu's long rule as prime minister is over, and that a historic coalition government is about to replace him, the political drama is far from over. We can expect the political wrangling to continue until the Knesset votes to approve the new coalition. There isn't a date set yet to vote on the coalition, but the latest possible date is June 14th. If the coalition is in fact approved, Time will tell if the eight parties can bridge their major differences and stay together as a government. Regardless of what happens, this historic coalition is a critical reminder that in Israel, coalition building is critical. As Golda Meir, Prime Minister of Israel in the 1960s, once said, quote, I never did anything alone. Whatever was accomplished in this country was accomplished collectively. End quote. 
I think that's really meaningful. You know, I've only been a citizen of Israel for a few years, and I've already voted several times, which can be frustrating because it means that coalitions weren't formed and we had to go back to the polls. But honestly, for me, it's also really inspiring. Not that we had to vote a million times, but that despite the challenges, we have such an amazing democracy in Israel. Along with the millions of other citizens of the country, I feel so lucky to have an active role in determining the future of Israel and the Jewish people. Democracy isn't always pretty, but this political process and this coalition have shown us that it's possible to bring people from all parts of life and society together. And now, we'll see how and if they're able to govern together. We wish them a lot of success. Thanks for listening. This episode was hosted by me, Sarah Himmelis. And me, Avi Posen. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Make sure you don't miss future episodes by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the podcast, rate and review us and share it with others. And we'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to reach out. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. This episode was written by John Kunza, edited by me, Sarah Himmelis, and you, Avi Posen, and audio engineered by Rob Para. Rifki Stern is our producer, and Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked. Thanks for listening. See you next week.